Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. It is good to put my preaching shoes back on. I have, I have missed, um, missed being away, and one of the things that, I've, that I said to Marianne, I think I said it to Marianne, I know I've said it to just about everybody else, I said, coming and leading worship is stressful in itself. Watching other people and hoping that everything goes really well is even more stressful. And so um, for, those, for all of you who made uh, the last two weeks of worship possible, I really just want to say thank you. Thank you so much um, for continuing the good work that we continue to do. Um, and, and it really was a joy um, to check in, um, and I guess I just, I guess I can be like an anxious dad at times, just hoping that everything goes well, particularly when you're involving computers and cameras and microphones. Um, it's never the people I worry about, it's always the tools that we are left to work with. But as most of you well know, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on my own story, but as most of you know, um, the two weeks that I was able to take off was interrupted um, twice over by family needs that I needed to take care of. Of course, we celebrated the wedding of my sister-in-law and my new brother-in-law and certainly wish them all the best. Um, but we also, um, in a very unplanned way, had to, um, had to say goodbye to my grandmother, Florence Wolf, um, who passed away. And then right as I was taken off, um, we celebrated her life and, were, and had, to do, had, had to do a funeral and were able to gather um, as families, socially distanced in a way. And so you'll forgive me if just for a moment, I've been reflecting on my grandmother's life, and not only my grandmother's life, but also the lives of the hundreds of thousands of people that we have lost as a country as a result of COVID. But before you start to think that I was full of tears and, you know, just mourning, I actually found myself smiling more than crying, to be completely honest, as I thought of Graham, who was always and everywhere the consummate caretaker. Now, you know this person in your life. Maybe you are this person in your life, but you know, you know exactly about whom I'm talking about. And one of the memories that kept coming back to me was one of my favorite things, and one of the reasons that I think some of my family think I was her favorite, but that's not true, was that every day I got off the bus, and if you don't know, my grandmother lived in one house on the farm, I lived, on the other house, I lived in the other house on the farm, and so I would get off the bus, I would come down the driveway, and I would always, every single day from kindergarten until my last day of high school, unless I had baseball practice, the first thing I would do is go to Graham's house. And she always, always, always had a snack for me every day when I came home from school. Now my two favorite snacks, and sometimes she got a little funny about it, but number one, Graham knew that I, I'm a sucker for cherries. You ask me my favorite fruit, it's cherries, that's the end of the story. And so from time to time, when she was feeling particularly good, she would just, I would pull up and she would open a can of cherry pie filling, set it right down for me, and I would eat the whole blessed thing. It's no wonder that I had to have a couple cavities filled. <laughs> The other thing, she, and nobody else would ever do that, and I'm not recommending that for anyone who's looking to spoil their children. Not a great idea, but I love cherries. The second thing she would do is we shared a love of hard-boiled eggs, and she taught me to love them, and then she taught me to eat them in a way that apparently no one else does. I hope some of you do this, is that I would come in and she would peel the hard-boiled egg, and then she would sit it in a huge cup of vinegar. White vinegar, apple cider vinegar, didn't matter. And then she would roll it around a little bit, get some vinegar on the outside, and then she'd sprinkle a little bit of salt on the top. 
And then she's like, all right, then you bite the top off, and it's like, oh, see, I, I'm a sucker for vinegar too. And then you would pour a little bit of the vinegar into where the hardened yolk was, and it would fizz. Like, there would be this whole, like, chemical reaction thing. Put a little more salt on that, then you'd eat the yolk, and then you dip it. Then you got that, like, bottom of the egg. It's got the little cup. Once you've bitten the yolk out, you pour a little more yogurt, uh, yogurt, vinegar in there, sprinkle some salt on the top, and then you down it. Three bites. That's how you eat a hard-boiled egg in Graham's house. So those are my two favorite things, and I spent a lot of time just thinking about them. Also thinking about the fact that if she wasn't home on that particular day, I could always open a screen door that led into our kitchen and there would always be something on the floor for me to eat. That's who Graham was. It was always, always, always about other people. There was always a snack if you needed it. There was always a bed if you needed it. There was always a listening ear if you needed it. Even if that meant that the skinny leg kid with baggy shorts and no shoes had to put up with a little bit of an eye roll as he rolled in to interrupt Graham's very important Bible studies. Over time, as her health declined, and this is long before she contracted COVID, we discovered, as we learned as Graham aged and as you know, life changes, we discovered one of life's most incontrovertible facts. Excellent caretakers are challenging patients. Excellent caretakers are almost universally very challenging patients. And we can, we can process this, right? That when we find meaning and purpose in the things that we do, when we find our sense of self in taking care of others, of course it makes sense that when that is taken away from us, when we're no longer able to do that, we often find within us a very large void when those things are no longer viable. That makes sense. For those of us who are, who are accustomed to caring for others, when we can't do that, it's not just the loss of ability, though we mourn that. It's also loss of identity. There's something very deep about that. And when you combine that tremendous sense of loss with the process of children who are used to being cared for by their parents and now need to care for their parents, as, as caretakers be, need to be cared for and as those who are cared for now become caretakers, we introduce a lot of instability and stress into the relationships that we are so used to. It's just a part of life, but it's a very difficult part of life. And I'm here to tell you that at times when I would go and sit with her, that this affected her faith, it affected her attitude and the way that she interacted with others. There was a lot of stress. But over time, slowly and surely, as she practiced her faith, and yes, even at 80, 90 years old, learned her faith, as she learned to trust those around her and receive the care that she needed, she realized that it was okay to be cared for. And as she opened her, opened her hands to that, what I saw in her life was stress replaced with gratitude. And she came to the end of her life in a place of joy rather than need. And the last words I heard her say were simply an expression of how much she loved her family and how much she appreciated all of us. And in that moment, we all discovered that we had been cared for and we had learned how to care. Both things were essential, and we were able to give thanks to God for that life who taught us those things. Now, I am under no, uh, no inclination whatsoever to believe that my story and my Graham's story is a unique one. 
that if we opened up this call and just went ahead with Zoom and we shared with one another, each and every one of us would have that person that taught us how to love and how to be loved. My story isn't unique. But it is possible, as we think about these lives that have shaped us so much, it is possible that our initiative to be caretakers begins in a great place but it becomes so much a part of us that it actually becomes our identity, our way of making sense of the world, our entire worldview. And I might suggest, and I'm willing to argue this out with you, but I'm willing to suggest that if all we ever do is think about how we care for others, that that's actually a bit of a threat to our faith. Yes, of course, we are called to care for others. Jeez, like, don't hear that. But friends, we are just as much called to be cared for. I mean, think of it this way. Is not the entire message of our faith not that we can ever do enough to satisfy God, but rather that we are so loved that God took action on our behalf? Doesn't our faith start with the fact not that we cared for others, but that we were cared for? Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. We are not saved by our works. We are saved because of the fact that God cared for us, that God loved us. And if we continue on in our faith and we are never the recipients of good work, never the recipients of care, of love, then we run the risk of our faith actually eroding a little bit and we start to believe that we are loved, we are cared for because of the things we do. Healthy faith always goes in two directions. Healthy faith is always giving of ourselves and receiving from others. It is caring and it is being cared for. And what I want to emphasize today is that being cared for gives us the strength to care for others in whatever season we find ourselves in. That we can care for others so much that we actually come to a place where we are exhausted and unable to do it anymore until and unless we are cared for. A healthy faith will pay attention to both things so that we can witness, not to our own goodness, but to God's. And so I want to step back a little bit, pull back from our own individual experiences, and think about this as a church. Let me ask you a question, and I don't mean to be snarky when I ask this. From the beginning of this pandemic, we've said that we are going to do more church, not less. We said that we've never been closed, and indeed we haven't been, only the building has been shut off to most of us. We've been sent into the world. We're still doing church. We're still being church. We've made a huge deal out of the prayer we're doing for our community during the pandemic, and we've heard piles of stories of how our commitment to the community is a source of hope to our community. We are excellent caretakers. Hear that again. We are excellent caretakers. But here's the question I want to ask. When's the last time you prayed for the church? Not necessarily the people in the church, though, I mean, we do that, and certainly, I mean, our prayer list, you know, we're praying for the people who are connected to this church. But I'm saying praying for the church, for the larger thing that is the church, praying for our worship, praying for our programs, praying for our leadership, praying for the things that make this organization go. When is the last time we said, hey, God, we need you to care for that. Because sometimes we can be so engrossed in being caretakers, we forget to care for ourselves. 
Being the church, being the people of God at prayer does not exempt us from needing prayer. Our shared life, friends, this whole thing that we do is fed and nurtured and sustained by prayer. So if we are going to be a living, dynamic, forward-moving people of faith, then we must be prayed for as much as we pray for others. To my sermon title, as much as we pray out from here, we are also going to have to pray back into this place. We have to learn to pray back in. And to learn this will be essential for our growth as a church. Colossians, friend, is a book for people like us. It is written for a people who aren't new at this who have been doing the work, have been standing firm and praying and working out of their context into their community. So it sounds very much like us as you start to read through it. You're like, yeah, this is a church who knows what's going on. But in Colossians, the author is standing outside of the church and he's looking back into the church and inviting the Colossians to do the same. He's saying, I need you all to pray back into yourselves so that you will have the strength to continue doing the work that you have been called to do. Now he opens the letter this way. And I I put it this way because I want you to hear this from me. He opens the letter, if I can put it in three words. What he says is, y'all are fabulous. It says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. He's just like, y'all, we see what you're up to. We see your love for God and your love for neighbor. We see how the gospel isn't just a word that we proclaim, but it is a lived reality for you. We see it all, and we give thanks for it. Y'all are fabulous. It's exactly where this starts. But he then goes immediately to, for this reason, because of how fabulous you have been, we have not ceased praying for you. We might hear it this way. Seeing your good work, we don't take the position that our work here is done, but rather that if we don't pour back into you, if we don't pray back into you, you're actually vulnerable to wearing out. And so what Paul is trying to do right at the beginning of this letter is to pray back into the Colossians, seeking to strengthen them for the next leg of the journey. And he prays some very specific things. And I want us to think carefully and deeply about how we might pray these things for our church. He begins, he says, Pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How will we pray for wisdom and for understanding? And as a leader and as I talk to our leaders in the church, trust me that this is number one on most of our list. How are we going to move forward in wisdom and with understanding? In other words, where are places of new learning and new reflection and new wisdom for us? What is God calling us to learn? What is God calling us to see that we haven't had to see before? What are the things we haven't had to think about before that now we do? And how do we do that wisely? And let me assure you that 2020 has produced an abundance of things we've never thought about before, and now we have to. And so the question is, we are called to learn 
So what are we supposed to be learning? What questions are we supposed to be asking? And what are the answers that we're going to propose to the challenges of our times? This has to be discerned and prayed for. And so praying back in means, Lord, give us wisdom and help us to move forward with wisdom and with understanding. He moves on then to say, he also says, we pray that you may be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. Again, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. Not that you may be strong, but that you might find your strength in Christ. This new spiritual wisdom, new understanding, growth as a congregation is going to take us to new places. And friends, let me tell you, going to new places is hard. It takes courage. It takes strength. It takes a certain amount of thick skin. And strength and courage don't just come from anywhere. They don't just pop up out of the ground. Strength and courage requires prayer. It requires to know that the people around us are praying for us as we pray for them. And it requires us to sometimes forge ahead when we're like, I don't know. Well, this is our best guess. We're going forward in courage. That requires prayer. And Paul is going to pray it for the Colossians. And he encourages us to pray it for one another as well. And then finally he prays that you may be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He says, may you be prepared to endure everything with patience. It's one thing to have wisdom and it's another thing to have courage to set out on the journey. It's a whole other thing to actually be praying during the journey. And that's what he said. We got to pray for the process. The walk of faith is dynamic, it is complicated, it doesn't matter how well you plan, there are 8 million potholes that are going to show themselves, 8 million challenges that are going to pop up. And so he says, while you walk, we'll be praying that yes, the way is smooth for you, and may, but it's not going to be, so may you, be in, may you find endurance, may you be able to take everything with patience, just letting things roll, understanding that things are going to be tricky, but also not letting that get you down, but also joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has put you on this way and is sending you to a better place. We accept the challenges of this moment, we also find joy in this moment as well. But again, we don't do that naturally. We either tend to be so joyful that we're oblivious to the hardships or we're so down in the dumps about the hardships that we forget to be joyful and we need to do both. That takes prayer. And we have to pray that for our church. And before we think that it's all about our effort, he comes back at the end to remind us that it is God who is doing the good work in us, not us as awesome as we are says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, everything that has happened, at least since I showed up, <laughs> that's a, forgive me if that's my window, but everything this church done, everything we're doing is based upon this foundation of God's goodness in us and not our own. And if we want to continue on that foundation, we're going to grow and watch our church grow out of this moment. It's going to be because we are continuing to be built on the foundation that it is not us, it is God's good purposes being worked out inside of us. And the only way that we are, will become more aware of God's good purposes, the only way that we'll be more focused on what God's calling us to do, the only way that we'll just take steps that are courageous and forward-looking are through the work of praying back into the church. So let us do that work.
Prayer opens our eyes to the needs that we have as a community of faith. It gives us opportunity to celebrate all that God has accomplished in us. And it invites us to expand our imaginations for what God is doing and what is possible in this community of faith. So the call in the coming weeks is to pray for the church. There is so much more to break forth from us. So pray back into your church, friends. Prayers for wisdom, prayers for strength, prayers for endurance and joy. And as we learn to be cared for as much as we are caretakers, we will find our stress and our anxiety and our concerns melting away, maybe not immediately, but slowly, and being replaced with the joy of what it means to be uniquely called to be the disciples of Christ in this place, in this moment. What a glorious call. What glorious work God has done in us. May God continue God's good work today and in the days to come.